I think I'm ready. Are you ready? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but I mean, when has that ever stopped us? Never. Never. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 33. In this episode, we are talking about Robert Bolaño's The Savage Detectives. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cults, book something or other. We'll be a, a gang of roving book club people in an impala in a desert. But yes, yes, episode 33. I'm excited. This is uh this is the first book I think that we've had a full month to really read and digest. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure exactly uh how well that's gonna how well that's gonna translate into some of the stuff we gotta go over today. Cause I think Yeah. You I and I you and I took different approaches. I think to this. today's yeah, I've got like two two printed out typed up sheets of notes. You've got none. You're going wheels off straight got, from the hip. I've got two waters. This is, you do. You have two <laughs> different flavored water cans, both open. I can't attest to how uh, full they are, but yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun and interesting episode today. Traditional episode, we'll tell you a little bit about the author, give you a brief. I'll attempt to give you a brief summary here. We'll see, and then we'll <laughs> just uh, we'll just get into it. I got a couple questions. You may think of some whenever we're we're yeah, we're into I'm, the nitty gritty, but questions. Uh, we'll mostly just uh, chew it over, talk a little bit about the book, and then of course at the end we'll give you our three tier four if we're getting rid of it or donating it five if we're burying it in the sonoran desert six if it's just you know we're gonna set it on fire or throw it out but i don't know if we're gonna get that far but our patented rating system and then of course we'll tell you what's coming up on the next episode yes so if you haven't read the book it would be weird to listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read so you may want to go read this book before you listen to the podcast because that's how book clubs work. If you listen to this podcast without reading the book, it'd be like coming to your high school English class and trying to wing the discussion. It's not going to go well, but you might learn something and you might be able to fake your way through it. That's true. You could get a D yeah. or a C. Yeah. C's get degrees is uh, what they say. I thought it was a D for diploma. So well, I don't know because D's are, no, because D's don't, you don't pass with a D. True. It C's get degrees. Okay. And B's B do as they please. Uh-huh. A's get a raise. Get a raise. There I like that. Go. Very good. Very nice. All right. Uh so let's talk Robert Bolaño. Roberto Bolaño. Ro- Roberto. Why I I've been I've been waiting to do that this so entire just call time. Him Robert. Yeah, I did that Robert. once, I think, in talking to you about this, but there's definitely an O there at the end. Yeah. Roberto, Roberto Bolaño. Uh, he was born April 28th, 1953. He died in 2003. Uh, he was, in fact, from Chile. Chile. Some of the things that I might say might sound kind of like a character from this book. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he moved to Mexico in 1968, dropped out of school, worked as a journalist, became active in left-wing political causes, Went back to Chile during a certain revolution, got jailed there, ended up escaping because he had two friends that were prison guards. Uh, he made it back to Mexico, did some shit, moved to Spain, blah, blah, blah. Uh, sounds a lot like Arturo yeah. Bolano. Just a little it, bit. Does it not? Wow, it's hidden in there. Like, I would, you could never, if you're thinking of this character, you're like, oh, all right. We're gonna kind of make a character loosely based on on myself and my own little weird personal escapades, and we gotta kind of satirize that. So um, the last name can't be the same. So it's Balano instead. Yeah, of he just dropped the Enye or whatever the little things called. Yeah, he put a inst- is- he put an E instead. Of, well, it is. It's a tilde. Tilde. Um, that's what I was looking for. But he for. put the E instead of the O. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, first name's different. So, so different he was a. Uh, he was a founding member of a real life uh, minor poetic movement, okay, uh, called infrarealismo or uh, infrarealism. How do you spell that? Uh, do you want the Spanish or English? Uh, Spanish. Uh, I'm I, see if I got it. Hold on, I, I just spelled it out. I want to see if I got it. Go. Okay. I n f r a r r e a l i s m o. 
I put two S's and not two R's in Shouldn't the do infrarealism that. or infrarealismo. Uh, so yeah, they, they, uh, this whole book basically was, uh, somewhat of a parody of some of the, the movements. So the visceral realists were, were kind of a, uh, uh, a play off of, of those experiences. And obviously, uh, Arturo's character, uh, mimicking sort of, uh, Roberto's, uh, life or backstory, uh, in a lot of ways, um, which I think makes that character more interesting. And we can, we can talk about that uh that later on but uh anyway the he died of uh liver failure in 2003 he was number three on the transplant list uh while uh while he was waiting on that so that's unfortunate it is it is unfortunate um so he's he's written a, a bunch of other things strangely he had he had a couple uh like nazi related things I I did hear about that. There was like the Third Reich he had written. Yeah, it was like a short story or something uh, with that. No, it's a, it's a whole novel. I I ran into it at the it was like recycled po- books up in yeah. Dayton. It was like it was like posthumously yep published. Yeah, and he was writing uh twenty six sixty six uh when he when he died uh and uh I think he had just submitted the draft to his publisher mm. uh uh right before before his death um. But yeah, so he's he's got a bunch of other books. Uh, let's see, Nazi literature in the Americas, uh, twenty six sixty six. I think is his probably the other most popular his, one. Yeah, his most important one. Uh, but I have in two bookstores seen uh, the Third Reich uh, in several copies of those. So that must that must be fairly fairly popular as well. So yeah, well that's interesting. Yeah, um, and then he has written some short stories and uh, and some poems as well. So. That's all I got for you. You got a summary for me? Uh, no. Oh. No, I tried, <laughs> I tried working on one, but then I just shamelessly plucked one that I saw uh, elsewhere because I thought it uh, was about as good as I could probably make one up. So okay. I'm just going to foist this off on a stranger. So, The Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolaño. It's about a couple of wild young poets who start their own literary movement and go in search of its forebear. Ultimately, they they grow older, become increasingly delusioned, never attain their once lofty aspirations, heading straight for neglect and oblivion, and yet through everything, they still hold on to a belief, a faith, if you will, in poetry and revolution, and they talk about how much sex they have all the time. Yeah. I added that last little bit. That was mostly for the first first part of the story. Yeah. First, like, 50 pages, you need to know that. It's just like, all right, how much... It was like 13 or 15 orgasms a day or something. Uh, Sexual encounters. Yeah, an extraordinary amount. That All right, let's just jump into that real quick. Okay. I think we need to dispute that from the get-go because do we want to talk about the the physical requirements of that? Do we want to talk about the time requirements? Do we want to eschew this entirely and not just bring something uh, like the scientific feasibility of that level of orgasmic experience in a 24-hour period into our podcast about books. I mean, where where do you think we should jump off here? I th- so it's 17. We, we it, said we're going wheels it's, off. It's 17, I suppose anything is possible. Listen. I I'm not a doctor, so I I can't uh I can't give an opinion on the ability and or the safety with 17 times or 15 times a day, whatever whatever it was that... It doesn't matter if it's 13 or 15. It's not happening, okay? It's not happening. I'm thinking you're probably... At 17, you're probably maxing out at like 8, okay? Like 8 is, to me, it's really high, but it's still in the realistic realm of possibility. Okay. So then, to your earlier point, where do you find time? He's, this kid's going to law school. Uh, I guess maybe... Once he drops out, then he just, that's yeah. how he fills his time. There, well, there needs to be a reasonable uh, refractory period, I believe is the scientific term, uh, between each episode. So if you were to say, space them out, giving yourself time to sleep, you're talking about an hour and a half in between each, maybe two. That's, uh, that's, that's quite the clip if you're trying to accomplish other things throughout the process of your day. Fair enough. All right, I don't even know where else we could take that that conversation. Yeah. But very early on, sexuality is presented uh, and stripped bare <laughs> of very any, much so any sort of decorum. It's kind. I mean, yeah, you get this. You know, we're 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 being narrated here by a seventeen year old, and so we're kind of just getting this sort of 
like, oh, here's all this exploits. He's excited because he's in this, you know, new and interesting sort of literary movement. Yeah. And it's just all the, the drugs and the sex and, and, you know, going around and drinking coffee and talking about poetry and just the sort of uh, bohemian-esque lifestyle this like hippie com hippie like yeah. Mexican hippie like commune sort of lifestyle, and I gotta say, Ryan, mm-hmm. if I was a seventeen year old boy reading this book, it would be pretty. It would be a pretty appealing lifestyle to me. Would it really? Maybe, maybe a seventeen. I mean, think back to a seventeen year old version of yourself. You know, yeah, you're 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 going to to university, I guess, or at an earlier age, and you kind of have this passion for for literature, for poetry, and you have this opportunity to kind of, like, separate into this own small, like, communal society and partake in all of the, you know, weird, strange desires thereof and to, you know, potentially sort of indulge in those aspects in your mind that you enjoy, you know. Yeah, so literature. uh, 17-year-old me, I think, was too concerned about just getting out from underneath my parents' thumb. Okay. And like, you know, being able to get a job well, and like be, doing that, my own thing. I mean, that could be a good motivator in the same instance. Yeah, but I mean, I also at 17, I don't think was willing to like compromise my lifestyle the way that uh that Maduro was. Yeah. Uh so that's a little bit different, but I think the older I get, the more that I'd be willing to, <laughs> to do something like that. Just like, just like detach from yeah, society. Yeah, just like wander around and Wandered. read books in bars all day. Uh, if that was a, if that was yeah, a tenable and sustainable lifestyle, for sure, I would do that now. It's your goal that you're working towards now. Yeah, so pretty, maybe pretty much, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. So obviously, kind of a big thing that you're hitting the face with, you know, early on in this book is this kind of like youthful nature. Yeah, just sort of like this sort of youthful idealism and. Just, I don't know. You 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 kind of see it sort of change. Even even when we get to section three, which is kind of within the same time period, you know, mm-hmm. everything's sort of shaded by uh, your big savage detectives, detectives portion, which I'll we'll talk about the three different uh, sections here in a sec. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it it feels almost like you know you read this book as someone who's you know a little bit past, I guess, the age of our characters, and it. I'll be damned if it if they're if that first section doesn't make you in, in some ways kind of go like oh man like yeah just just sort of like that unattached lifestyle just kind of living free just sort of going to the beat of your own drum I mean it 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 very much runs kind of similar to you know if you're talking about late sixties and seventies you know within within the U S too you kind of have the hippie or the counterculture movements and you see a lot of those same ideas with with that kind of like young resurgence of sort of free freelance independence and sort of non-structured living environments and ideas of, uh, of sort of politically laced movements and politically inclined traditionally left, you know, leftward leaning, uh, movements. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, that was one thing kind of that, was at least sort of interesting to me that struck me kind of really early when I was reading the book is, you know, I, I don't know. It's always fun to think about those sorts of things like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. I could, I could see that. I, I do think it's, it's interesting. You had this, almost this entire group of, uh, like middle class seeming or like lower class, lower middle class, like kids, that just sort of lived this like life of leisure. Like they yeah. had, they had benefactors in the, in, you know, uh, Lima and Bolano, you know, just through drug sales and stuff. Uh, you know, and then they had Quim, uh, or Queem, however you want to yeah. say his name, uh, this episode. Uh, but so, you know, you had these people like infusing these kids with, with money and like Angelica and Maria had their own like house and shit yeah. in, in their own little area that, but, they're painting and having sex and like doing whatever they want to. Yeah. Like you're not really faced with, doesn't really happen like, no, it that was, way. It was funny that you mentioned, uh, you know, Lima and Bolano 
because I remember, I don't remember what story it was, but it was like, oh, how would you describe them? And it's like, they were drug dealers. Yeah. Like, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, they were, that's yeah. what it was. They were, no, they were visceral realists. No, they were pretty much just drug dealers. Yeah. They just wanted to do shit, like, other other than sell drugs. But then when they needed to sell they drugs, needed they needed money. They yeah, just sell they just, drugs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's. I want to talk about the three parts of this book. Let's just get this out of the way. Okay. So you start off the book, you get Mexicans lost in Mexico. Yep. 1975. It's very much first person from uh, Madero. And, um, you know, I'm kind of feeling it. Like, it's an interesting, like, I'm like, okay. So we're, we're immediately, like, he's in the visceral realist, and we're kind of getting this idea of what our characters are going. And yep. we get this for, what, the first 150, 200 pages or so. Yeah, about 200 and then we get the Savage Detectives. Yes. Which is a complete departure from this kind of narrative style that we set up in this book. And I will say in in other works that I've read that have kind of shifted to a more like storytelling element like this, I have not been into it at all. Where we get a lot of these like, oh, here's all these sort of secondhand encounters and we're we're kind of like interviewing these people as the retelling of all these sort of encounters that they have with our characters yeah. over the course of some 20 years yep. in various parts of the world and various different instances. And I got to say it was tough for me. This, this entire section, like just sort of wedged in between Mexicans uh, lost in Mexico and then Sonoran desert. We kind of get the conclusion of, what we've set up, you know, yeah, beforehand yeah. with them kind of running off in the desert and and looking for Tenayero and then kind of the weird ending there too. But I don't know. Like what was your I guess what was your thoughts on each of the sections or I guess transitioning especially from the first to the second and how how did the second really kind of warp your view? Cuz I feel like everything I've seen about this book, mm-hmm. you either love it or hate it based on how you transition into the whole meat. I mean, the second section is like 400 pages of this book. Right, it's right. the vast majority of this book. Yep. And everything I've seen is the people that hate it, hate it for the second section. The people that love it, love it for the second section. Yep. Where do you sit kind of in that, in that spectrum? Yeah. So I think that Bolaño is one of the best writers that we have read. And I think that when you look at what he tried to do, with the second section of having 40 different characters give very unique yeah. um, descriptions of their their interactions with these two or sort of the ancillary events around them. Um, I think it is an ambitious and admirable uh, thing to attempt. Um, and I think that for the most part, he executes it well. That being said, yeah, I stopped reading in the second section. I skipped uh, basically half of the se- the second section. Yeah, right around where they were in, I think it was like 1979, mm-hmm. and I just said, "Fuck it, I'm done. I'm 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 completely done." Wow. I went to the internet and I was like, I was like, I started reading about the book and like trying to figure out like what the fuck was going on, and. So then I got like the perspective that the third section kind of jumped back to yeah. the, the sort of journal form and whatever. So I was like, okay, well I can I can keep like plowing through and do that. So I came back, read another probably fifty pages, and I was like, fuck, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. And what it what it boiled down to, and so let me just say what what I ended up doing was I skipped most of the or I should say the back half of the, the second, second section because I was so fucking miserable. Yeah. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm not gonna waste my time going through and reading something that is written well about literally fucking nothing. And <laughs> yeah. so I just like we've talked about it before. Like there is nothing wrong with putting a book down and saying Absolutely. this this is not for me. I mean, this I've, is the first yeah. one on the podcast. We've read thirty three books. I even pushed through Asimov uh, when I shouldn't have, and this is the first one where I said no. Um, now I, I didn't say no to the whole thing because you know, having done the research and realized that it went back, you know, to the same form in the third section. I read the, the whole third section. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that if you just took that, that that out of there, you have a really cool story. You have a those. little interest. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, it doesn't quite have the same 
uh, overall sort of themes that yeah. you get a lot through the second section. But yeah, you still have an interesting enough story. The, here's here's my problem with with this whole this whole book in general is it is it tries to fold in a lot of different things and the the whole sort of like beat generation and like beat writers that just doesn't jibe with me like yeah. i don't find that sort of wandering Not a Kerouac aimless guy. no i don't like Kerouac at all yeah. um and yeah i and i, I had a, a professor in college who was really uh really into Kerouac and we had like a long discussion about on the road and I just you know I'm just like I just don't understand the allure yeah. and, and it's it was for much of this book the the same thing especially in that second section yeah. where you really get those sort of elements of like nothing's happening is how it sort of described basically yeah the, like you know beat writing in, in general uh so yeah I I just I I, I quit on it. I could not go back. I even tried to skim some of the later yeah. stuff in the nineties. Cause I saw the, the range, uh, went all the way through the early nineties. And I was like, maybe this, you know, there's relevant stuff. So I, I read a couple things just to see like if there were threads from before that were like pulled forward, I couldn't make sense of any fucking thing yeah. as I jumped around. So that was my perspective. I gave up on it. Uh, only coming back to kind of get the conclusion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I mean, not fully, but I did something incredibly similar. Like, I read the first section. I got a good little ways into the second section. Kind of was flipping ahead and just like, oh, it's just this. Yeah. Um, and so I, like, put the book down. I took, a, I took a bit of time away from it. I came back. I In the same vein, like, I heard that the third section. So I, I reread the third section. Then I went back and tried to, like, piecemeal some of the, the second section stuff. Because I feel like... Like you said it, like Bolaño is a really, really good writer, especially with like first person writing. Like yes. the problem is, is that, I mean, yeah, it's, you're reading this and, and I'm not the kind of person, there are some people who can, who can read a book or that value a book linguistically more than I guess plot. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the ideal component would be equal of each. Right. Right. But then I've, sure. I've, I've enjoyed books that are super plot heavy and the language or the writing style is really lacking, but it's so interesting that you're like, you can overlook that. Right. Right. Um, and this book was very much, at least in that middle section, it was language and it was, uh, it was well-written, but God, you just don't care. Um, and it's, you know, I heard a lot about this book too, is like, it's just so chock full of like referential things with, with artists, with poets, yeah, yeah. with, with all these things. And as somebody like I've, I'm not very well read on poetry to begin with, let alone Latin American no, no, yeah. and, these, and the, all these other there. It's so obscure and so abstract that it's like the only way that I would, that I could possibly enjoy so much of that would be if I just went and like yeah. did serious research ahead of time. And that's so just ugh, laborious for, you know, a book that we're, that we're reading for the podcast. So yeah, I mean the second section, it was tough. It was, it was really, really tough. And so much of it too is, like the style of the the way that we're told the stories. It's not like, you know, it's not like a continuum. We don't have this like linearity kind of timeline. Yep. We get it bouncing around and yep. we get it from different viewpoints. And, you know, we have people that pop up at different times. And right. it's kind of like continuations of things. And it's like all of these elements, all of these, and we've, we've pissed on this idea before on the show, all these like forced elements of complexity yep. that come into yep. writing that it's like, you know, I... I understand from a stylistic point of you writing, you know, very literary minds kind of go to these, these odd ins and outs to kind of inject this sort of these elements of style into their books. Yeah. And it just, it just tanks the like overall readability to me. And it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the most like simply written. Here's point A to point B. Here's how the story goes. Like I right, like a little right. meandering. I like a little non chronological things going on. Um, but they're good in like small doses, and it's not great whenever you're just ejecting that on top of it. Okay, well we're introducing all these other these recounts from all these people, and you're just kind of like bored because you, you don't really get much of anything from them. It's kind of like oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Moving on. It, it doesn't move on your story. It just sort of 
reflects a little bit more on the characters, but the whole time I'm just thinking like, okay, 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 okay. Can I get back to the story? Like it's great. Yep. It it's, you know, it's in the same vein of, you know, if you were to go somewhere, like, let's say you had, uh, like a work conference or something, or, or you go yeah. to a conference and you hear all of these like f- super, these people are super interested in these like personal stories and things that they have, but you just do not care at all right? because they're sure. just strangers and they're talking about, you know, these kind of like tangential things that you may be familiar with, but mm-hmm. as a listener, you just do not care. And then just imagine if there's 400 pages of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Savage Detectives really is... It's all about that second section. If you can find something in there that you enjoy or if you just enjoy that style. Right. I mean, it does make for it's at least written in a way that's easy to kind of pick up and put down. Yes. They're kind of because they're so, you know, you have these isolated little events. That's the one thing. It's not something that you're like forced to just read and read. They're not these super long accounts. For the most part, they're four, five pages. You know, they're they're these things that that kind of exist in their little own isolated bubbles that sort of add up and right. you can read them and put it down or read it and put it down or read it and put it down. And maybe if you had a year and you were just nibbling at this book, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But when you're trying to force yourself through it yep. in a month to get it done, God forbid we did this in two weeks. It would, this would have been I, impossible. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have. Um, but, you know, if, when you have a month, you, you can't just, you know, nibble away at it. You have to, right, right. You have to take out these large swaths of it and it's just... God, it gets you so bogged down that anything that's interesting, you just kind of immediately, it, it moves out of your, your sight, and you're just so focused on just getting through it. So I, I, have, I have two things that made that the second part of this book unreadable. Okay. Me. One, I think you've, you've hit, hit the nail on the head, is that um, there is no discernible plot or thread throughout that whole thing other than just the movement of Bolano and Lima in some fashion yeah. uh, over over in Europe and, and all of that, right? That's, that's kind of the only uh, unifying factor for hundreds of pages of, of that. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing, and I, I think this is the heart of it for me, is that in the first section, you are close to Maduro and you spend almost all of your time um, with what he has going on. In his on mind, yeah. In, and, and in the loose sphere of, of visceral realism and the people that are, that are related to it, you are not invested in Bolano and Lima as people. So when you couple that with the fact that you're now going to be reading interviews about these two characters, which to this point have only been ancillary figures to what you've read to this part. And I was invested heavily in the first part. I found that very, very intriguing and especially the way that it ended. Um, So then, you know, you're, you're thrust into this different style. You're thrust into a large chunk of text you have no discernible plot. You have two characters that you really don't give a fuck about. And I think, you know, it's it, it sort of reminded me of uh, of Marquez in a way where, you know, you get this, this sort of like churn of time and, you know, you get this laborious uh, kind of drawn out thing. And I, I think um, I, I found myself thinking that way a little bit throughout that like, okay, maybe the payoff is going to be there. But then... Yeah. At the point that like it became apparent that this was just going to perpetuate, that there was no central sort of action to this other than the wandering of those two uh, in and of itself, I was just, I, I checked out. So that's my hypothesis for why it didn't work for me. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that is true. Like this whole first section, we're kind of, we're, we're there with Madero and then he just disappears for 400 pages of the book. We like don't, you know, it seems like he's just not a figure at all. We get this whole, Oh, you even got a reference in the second part that like nobody, nobody heard of Garcia Madero before he must, he was not a visceral realist. The the one guy said, I know everybody that was a visceral realist. I'm the foremost expert. Yeah. And so it's just, yeah, it is this kind of like, okay, so we set up all of this in this first part, and then now we're just taken out and and forced to kind of look into the escapades of these you know people that were 
yes, I guess if you're looking at the background of like, oh, visceralism and that, yes, they're yeah. the important, they're the preeminent figures. But at the same time, that's not really how the first section of this novel is structured. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're there with Madero and yeah, I mean, it really, uh, part of it too is it, it's not even like the writing is easy to comprehend. Everything is, everything is really well written, but sometimes the things don't make sense. Uh, with uh, like the timing, with timing of things, there's like yeah, one, oh, uh, sure. like Salvatierra, I think he, he has a bunch of sections and like one of them is in like January of 76 when they're like out in the desert, but they're doing this thing. So there's like, that was confusing to me too, where there's sure. a story that he's encountering them, but it's during the time that we know that they were in the Sonoran. Right. And it was just, I don't know, like even stuff like that, like, albeit little, I didn't really, it, it didn't really vibe well with like me as a reader just going like, oh, w- wait, what? So we're kind of like contradicting what's going on within our own story. And granted, that's not, you know, that may not be the point that everything has to be literal and factual. And this is how things are. Sure, Cause we do sure. get the dabbling on kind of like the, like, Oh, super like the, like uh, non-realistic, you know, yeah. the mythical realism sort of elements and things within there. And so like, yeah, okay. I guess you can kind of put that aside for the, the unreliable narrator of these, of these, uh, I guess little interview sections, but right. Um, I'll tell you what, have you ever read any uh, David Foster Wallace? No, actually I haven't. So brief interviews with Hideous Men, and I forget his other short story collection. Like the, the whole second section, now not to like undersell Wallace or anything, because right, if you right. didn't like the second section here, I'm not saying that you're not going to like Wallace. But sure. very similarly, like I feel like both writers kind of have a, a very good touch for like first, for like first person I guess writing and, mm-hmm. and and I did get a lot of like oh this is kind of like I, this feels like Wallace a little bit but oh man yeah it was it was just hard it was it was almost it's it's hard to say almost irredeemably bad okay uh, the second section so much so that it like regardless of how you feel about the first and third sections at the second, I mean, again, it feels like so much of the opinion on this book is it's all about the the second yeah. section. And yeah. I, I don't think that's fair because I think that, like we said earlier, you take that out, you get the first and the third, you get a nice little, a nice little novel. Yeah. Probably doesn't deal with as much of the just weird asides and, and sort of character uh, characterization of the other two, but do we need that? No. And so, Here's here's kind of my thing, like to to kind of pull us back down into the contents of of the book. Like the whole thing about visceral realism is a farce, yeah. right? Like, and that that to me is is kind of the the sad part, I guess, about not being able to to complete the the second section is that you know you you realize at the end of the book, you know that. They, well, they end up killing their uh, their, their idol, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, so so you have this sort of failed movement, uh, you know, that that never never really amounts to anything, and then you know, in the second section, you see them just sort of wandering after this murder of of their you know idol, and uh, you know, so you see that really it just, it, it means nothing, which makes the second part in retrospect even like worse. Yeah. And I like, I, now I'm like morbidly curious, like seriously, like how pissed off are people that don't like the second section, finish it, read the end and realize like this, this all kind of amounts to nothing. Like at the end, I, I'm just, I don't know. Well, let's talk about the ending. Okay, since that's a nice which, little segue. Which which part? The very end. The the drawings. Well, yeah. So we get kind of like Madero's sort of small like diary entries yeah. there after uh, after everything that goes down, and then it kind of just like we slowly get less and less, and then we start getting I guess city names, and then we get little riddle drawings. Like, what did you take of that? So, as we both. Flip back to yeah, the last I just, like two I, I kinda, pages. I kind of wanted to look at look at his drawings. So it seems to me like it's just like disillusionment. Like I, I think that this kid is the only one that you really see that seems to be invested at any point. Yeah. In 
writing other than probably Angelica uh, and Maria, but it seems like their time is sort of past um, by the time we, we encounter him in the, in the first section. But, you know, he was, uh, he's obviously well-educated or at least he's lying his fucking ass off. I didn't look up any of the, uh, the like poetic terms or anything that he yeah. was quizzing those two on at one, at one point. Um, but to me, I guess it, it sort of represents just like disillusionment with the whole idea, or maybe it's just like a full on embrace of like the sort of whatever vis- visceral realism is supposed to mean, which yeah. <laughs> is a juxtaposition in and of itself. Um, I don't fucking know. I'm, I'm just, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent some time thinking about it just like, I was like, okay, this kind of just comes up at the end and we're left with this like little puzzle. Yeah. So I, my thought was immediately like, okay, like this is more so from the author than from the actual, like, you know, Madero himself. And I don't know, just the idea of like the window being kind of that barrier between, you know, fiction and, and reality or, and, and I, I don't know. It was, it was an odd way to end the book. I would say that it wasn't, I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't a very satisfying, like if you're reading this book to hope for like, it's like, Oh, I want a satisfying story. You're left without that entirely. Yeah. It's, it's wholly unsatisfying and you're left thinking like, okay, so it was kind of, you know, amounted to nothing, but then on the other hand, you go, okay, well, do stories have to have these like large, grandiose moral lessons or no. these baths? And, and no, and I, there is something to be learned of the mundane or to be learned of the failure or of just the abstract of experience. Yeah. And so in some ways you can look back at it like that, but you could also look at it as Maduro's like, a reflection of his very obvious like narcissism and self-importance like yeah. you know uh, you get it very early on when he's in the in the workshop class uh, at the beginning of the book and he's you know being snarky to the teacher and yeah. everybody in there about what he knows and what the teacher doesn't know and you know you get it all throughout the, the novel that uh, you know he is this educated uh, intelligent kind of person and so you know maybe that's just snark at the end about I I don't know. I, if it were me writing this book, or if it were me as Bolaño's editor, yeah, I'd be like, just end on end on uh, Tenahero getting getting killed. Yeah, like, just like that little scene at the end. That's a good enough climax. You could you could finish the book on that. Make readers reflect on you know just their all of, all of their choices up to that part. And I think there's enough there to to maybe think through you might have to want to rework certain parts of the beginning to make that hit a little bit harder but like you could have ended there it wouldn't have been unreasonable and it probably would have given some sort of like kickoff to the to the second section is you know suddenly these guys are wandering around you know europe uh, sort of ghosts of them their former selves in a sense but also sort of still chasing after this you know movement that's not really a thing yeah uh i mean these are just kids that are just I mean, so i got a question for you okay did anybody actually fucking write anything in this book no or- that was the thing <laughs> and that was the that was the kind of irony of the visceral realist movement right it's, you know they argued uh you know they argued for and against and uh, you know against i guess pause and they you know were were very opinionated and very sort of like oh we're super motivated to have this movement and all right. stuff. And then it ends up amounting to nothing because they never really do anything with it. They never really they they they're not poets. They right. don't they don't compose really anything. Um, yeah, it's that's why I think it's it's hilarious. Just the part two little nugget. It's like yeah, no, they were drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what it turned out to be in the end. You know, it's they were drug dealers and drug users, and um, you know, you create this 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 concept in your mind or you give yourself this elevated level of importance because you feel so passionate about something. And then in doing so, you kind of blind yourself to the reality of like who you are and what you do and the steps that you can take towards actually doing like meaningful things. And you just kind of get stuck in this 
cycle of drugs and sex and stealing books and yeah. you know, driving and all sorts of other stupid random crap. I mean, so these these kids to like to be writers would have had to have been writing something, yeah. right? But there there is a certain element of I think uh living an existence it's sort of like bringing something into into reality, you know, yeah. like sort of living your truth uh, for a, a lack of better words, but I th- I think about like uh like Instagram influencers is probably the the thing of the day, right? Yeah. Where like these are just normal people that don't have any qualifications that get on the internet and do a thing whether that's, you know, streaming games, uh taking pictures in you know, exotic locations and revealing clothes, makeup tutorials, like whatever, pick your poison. Sure. Uh, that become celebrities because they're doing this thing and then they become qualified. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. In it. And it's other than the fact that these kids in this book don't appear to actually be making anything or doing anything sure. other than reading. Uh, there is something to be said for like you could start a movement based on just sort of faking it till you make it. Yeah. Uh, which is I kind of feel like that's what visceral realism was all about, and and it seems right. like that was what we're the, gonna the we're gonna we're gonna pick up the mantle real, of realism. visceral realism, Ryan. We're gonna reshape it. Okay. To our own desires, and it, we're going to we're going to make it something something where we may not be young men, although. Having shaved your beard again, I will say you have a baby face. Yeah, so oh, ba- I have a baby chin. I still have a I have a strong upper nah, lip. With, the mustache, with his mustache. Yeah, but still, it's it's all in like the the chin <laughs> and cheekbone area. Now yes. that it's been uh, recently uh, deharamified, I believe that is the technical term for it. That sounds like you just got rid you of could, a bunch of prostitutes. Yeah, de- <laughs> we got to deharamify this. Um, yeah, you look probably. Three, four years younger, my man. Probably, yeah. So, I, I look like I could almost look like be a in my young 20s. Man. Yeah, exactly. So, oh my goodness. Um, where do we even go with this book anymore? Um, was what? it weird to you how somewhat obsessed Madero was with the dick measuring knife? Uh, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, but if you go back to our conversation at the beginning of the episode, yeah. you know, I, I he's seventeen, obviously just ridden with hormone and like sexuality. And so I think anything Dick related, he is going to have an interest in like yeah. whether it's his own or somebody else's. Like, yeah. Uh, have you rethought or have you thought about the idea of carrying a knife strictly for uh penile measurement purposes and yep. or other threatening thing and other utility uses you can do for a knife, but more explicitly for penis measuring. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think that's necessary in any way, shape, or form. Not not only not only utilizing a knife for yeah. measuring purposes, but just like measuring I, in general. Here's the thing, though. It's not information you have to relay very sure, often. Sure, sure. But here's the thing in using a knife. It's also kind of like a veiled threat. Because if someone's like talking, you're like, listen, you like whip out your penis and, and hold it up to a knife. You're kind of like threatening them. Like it does like, look, it's the you, you work with what you work with. And if you disagree, I'll stab you because here's I would wait. So you're suggesting that like somebody whips it out like as as a threat. I'm saying that you could you could also prescribe like maybe it was the only thing. All right. I'll measure it by this blade of this knife and show you like maybe it's maybe it's more of utilitarian than that. But also the 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 act of using a knife in such a unusual way. You can also incorporate the other uses of the knife in there as more of a veiled, like a thinly veiled sort of threat. Yeah. That I just blow your mind. No. No, not at all. Not I, in the least. I, I that think, was the stupidest thing that has ever been said on the podcast. I think uh I, I think the whole the whole knife thing it was just preposterous to begin with. You just threw your notes. You're just done. You have two pages of prepared notes. Yeah, like here's the thing though. I I have a lot of redundancy in the things I okay. write down. Like so that because a lot of times if I'll like think of something, it's like oh I really want to remember this. I'll put it like in six different things. Yeah. So it's two pages of notes, but uh, oh, there is one little thing. Oh, okay. Let's. I hear have it. a quote for you. Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> you ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. 
What a shame that time passes, don't you think? What a shame that we die and get old and everything good goes galloping away from us. True or false? Is that it? True. It's very true. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's always novels like this, I guess, that kind of highlight this weird, rambunctious sort of freedom of youth. Yeah. That you kind yeah. of always, you always look back and reflect on as you get older and you go, man, yeah, no, when I was young, I was doing dumb shit. That was not, I was working at Sears in merchandise pickup. I was helping yeah. people you know, put refrigerators in their trucks. And then I was going home and playing Counter-Strike on my computer. And then, uh, yeah, I'd go to AMC 30 and I would watch some movies. That was my, that was my rambunctious, uh, youthful, pre-collegiate days. Yeah, I don't really, really remember what I Weren't you what in a I band, did, though? Did, weren't you yeah, like I was in a, in a band. band. Yeah, yeah, so you're already, you already I have played, like 10 uh, more played a lot of music cool cred points than i do i played a lot of musics yeah uh i played sports uh at least for mo- half of high school well i played sports in high school and yeah. i was in band but that doesn't count that's not cool like being in no a but band. that like eats up a lot of time i mean like i even like just practices like you know would go early morning or late at night and then you get home you got shit to do you gotta you got counter-strike to play do homework mostly me in high school yeah i didn't play a whole lot of video games in high school you were a late adapter. You were a late well, adapter. Late adopter. No, I of played the I PC played, gaming. I played, a, yeah, well, yeah, PC gaming. But I played PC games, and like I had a Nintendo sixty four, and an original Xbox, and then like I lapsed until college. It wasn't until like junior year in college that I got a, a whatever the yeah, three sixty. Yeah, three sixty. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was like a five, six-year span in there that I wasn't playing video games at all unless they were super old. We call those the productive years. Yeah, which I was playing and music. Just, and since then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so here's here's my ultimate question. Maybe we can okay. walk this straight into ratings. our ratings. Okay. Would you read anything else by Bologna? <sighs> Yes, because again, I really liked the writing, mm-hmm. but it would have to, I would definitely, I would definitely have to like look into like maybe something, the one of the Third Reich books perhaps, because yeah. that's a topic that I could see if you go into this style of storytelling with kind of the, the, the sort of like interview narrative style, if for some reason that carries over into other works of his, that would work because I think that that actually has kind of a plot thread that would be interesting and not utterly fruitless and uh seemingly uninteresting so yeah i think he's a i think he's an interesting enough writer i got enough there that i would read this especially in that first section i got enough there i just don't think that the stylistic choices that went into making this book um really worked for me okay i actually have i i I have a similar thought that i would be extremely interested in reading something else by him but even more cautious about doing research Absolutely. about it. And here's the funny thing. If you go on like Goodreads, for instance, like mm-hmm. this is rated like a, like four and a half or something. It's like, like a 4.1. Yeah. I mean, so it's, mostly, it's, mostly good. Yeah. So we're in a minority or more people that read this book are like just being probably a little less frank than we are about, sure. about their, their and, assessment of it. And you have to take into account to the, I mean, you're not getting an honest representation of everyone who's ever read this book by looking at like reviews. You're mm. typically getting very like polarized. Right. I would imagine there's a lot more two, three star type people out there than, than review sites tend to usually have. Cause usually you get the people that are polarized and very vocal book readers right. or the people that are, just sort of ratings people. They just like to go in and, and rate things. Then you leave out this whole other segment of people that's like, yeah, it was okay. Well, I don't really feel compelled to like write an essay about it or right. go, you know, rate it on a site. So, so here's, here's my thing. I think I'm actually going to go seek out one of his short story collections. I think he has four of them. Okay. And, and, or see if I can cherry pick some of his maybe more popular short stories just to get a feel for like how his other stuff is. Yeah. But 
I also wonder because you know this book was originally written in Spanish, and it was yes. it, it was not translated until something like a decade after, perhaps or, or six or seven it was, years it was, after it yeah. had already been published. Yeah, and it's you know with so much of the you know Latin American and Mexican literature and poets and and all these other like I wonder how so much of that. I wonder how much is lost, like culturally reading it, not having those or not understanding as much of those references or even just in the process of translating it, kind of the nuance of the language used in the book could change because I can't help but think that that had to have some influence on on this book. I, I agree. I think that there there's there's possibly an element of, of both of those things. But I think the I think the bigger problem is that there are deep-seated storytelling um, traditions in in countries, even in regions, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you think about like just some of like the southern literature that we have in America, versus you know other things that we've encountered uh, like in the twenties and thirties, um, you know with uh, with sort of the beat writers, and you know then then you've got like Hemingway. And Fitzgerald and, and all of those sort of clan, they, they, they tend to be, you know, regionalized uh, yeah. or in same, you know, social circles and all that kind of stuff. And sure. So even within our own country, you get these these very different styles. So I would imagine that in Latin America, you get the same sort of thing. And the fact that we've I, mean, I personally have have probably only read a handful of writers from Latin America that have been translated into English. Yeah. I am missing an entire lifetime of just storytelling tradition and expectations that I think comes along with really inherently being able to understand some of the narrative decisions that we may not agree with or that is, like. That is true. There is nuance. Like even if you if you pick up a book, even if it has nothing to do with uh specifically with anything else that you've written, like there are not tropes, but they're kind of like themes and elements that right. exist in there because yep. of where the author's from, maybe influences in the author's life. And yeah, it can be hard sometimes like bridging that gap if it's an author that's from an entirely different culture, speaks an entirely different language, yep. and has all of these other influences and and sort of elements that they've maybe experienced in storytelling and that they've kind of draw upon with that, whether it's short stories or poetry and it is tough. And that's why, you know, at the heart of this book, I don't think, you know, you look at it and it's not like, uh, it's not like foundation where we were both just like, it's awful. I hate all this about it. <laughs> it's more so it's like, listen, the writing is sound. The writing is really good. Yeah. He has a very, very, very good grasp on like first person narrative. Yeah. It just lost us in the second section with the stylistic choices, and yep. I don't know how much of that plays into sort of the regional influences behind kind of this writing style, or if this was just sort of like an experimentation in kind of how he was going to conduct this story. I think overall, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of good in this book, but it's just, man, that 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 hill, that massive hill of... The Savage Detectives, the second portion, you know, it's yep. it's it's gonna make or break it. Yep. And it's I think it's safe to say for both of us it 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 broke it. Yeah. At least enough to 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 knock this considerably down on the ratings, almost assuredly, you know, probably about as far as you can go. That's what we call a segue. Well, I'll just say right now I would drive this book out to the Sonoran Desert buy a knife somewhere along the way hope that i encounter it in the in a street yelling at me and throwing insults and then i would stab it in the chest and then go to europe okay so that's a donate then i'm guessing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there's there's no rereadability in this for me. I'm so, not going to go back and reread the second okay. section. Well, an like, interesting an interesting side for that. So you're donating yeah. it. Where would it kind of sit in the books? If you can think about the books that that have not made the shelf for you, and there are only a few, uh, is this is this at the bottom? Is this no, in the middle? No, is this, this is, somewhere this, in the mix? This is see, this is. This see, is I'm always anytime tough. we anytime we get super polar, like if we yeah. get a top shelf or we get a donate, I want to know kind of where it ranks overall in the scheme. I'm trying to remember what other books I donated. Foundation. Um, okay, so I've got 
Foundation, Blood Meridian, Milkman, and Beloved on my on my donate list currently. Okay. Uh I think I think I would put this at the top of my my donate stack because I think that the writing was far and away better than everything else that is is in this section. And this is what was so hard about this book to me is that I really enjoyed the writer. I really hated the the book. Yeah. And so I I well that just means we'll get another opportunity maybe in the future to pick something else by Bologna because yeah, yeah. I'd be interested. I think we're both interested to read something by him again, but it would have to be heavily curated ahead of time to For make sure. sure that we're not sure. like at least saying like, okay, let's, let's do a deep dive beforehand and see what stylistic choices are in this book before we commit to this again. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's just, it's, it's frustrating to me sometimes that like, there are certain things now that are becoming very apparent to me as a, as a reader that I uh, have a hard time getting past. And now I've reached a limit for, you know, what I won't, you know, encounter and and complete and, you know, really books that are not plot driven. That's becoming very apparent to me that I have no fucking patience for it. And I'm just, I'm going to dislike a book that doesn't have a driving plot. At least, at least at key moments, you know, you can have, uh, you know, it can fast, meander. Yeah, and we can for get sure. we I, can get the jumps best, in time. The best book that we read, uh, Gentleman in Moscow, did that. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean that so was much aside. That yeah. was not a heavy, like plot driven book all the way through, but it was crafted in such a way that it never became disjointed, and it sort of kicked me out of the narrative. I felt like in this book, I was on the outside for the. 200 pages that I read of that middle section. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. It's just, just it, there was no fucking point. So yeah. th- it's, it's such a weird thing because I really do like Bolaño, but I really didn't like this book. Yeah. Where are you at? Uh, I mean, I came in here today and I was on that fence in, in, it was a long shot to make bottom shelf a more likely donate for me. And I think it's going to stay as a donate, which okay. saddens me because I think this is the most excited I'd been about a book coming into it just because I thought the when I kind of read the background of what the book was about, I thought, oh, this sounds fucking weird, but like a good kind of weird, like kind of out there. We're going to get a little bit like, you know, maybe some mystical realism, a little bit like Marquez and Hesse mesh up like, yeah, because like, those I think individually we found a lot that we liked out of that, especially Hessa. Yep. And I thought that this, this kind of what I had heard about it going forward was that was, those were the two sort of works that, that jumped into my mind and just going through the ideas of like, wow, okay, how is this going to, how is this going to work? And just the idea of this roving gang of poets and they're doing all this. It seemed like it was going to be a nice and interesting hook and even early on in the book, reading it, you're like, okay, this is interesting, this is interesting, yep. and then you just, you're just smacked with the whole middle section, and it just drives everything down, and it just bogs you so far down that I just, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend it to anybody. I don't really feel compelled to reread it. I don't know uh, what merit I'm keeping it on my shelf for other than to remember Roberto Bolaño and maybe find <laughs> another work of his, but I feel like I'll... I'll I don't need help on that. I figure, you know, I can probably do that on my own. So, yeah, it's going to be a donate for me, too. Sad day. It's, yeah. been, it's been a while it has since been. we've had a double donate. You know, I'm, I, I've got to say, I'm a little bit surprised that we both had uh, had this reaction to the book because I felt like being your selection, you would have been a little bit motivated to not, like, donate it. Um, not that that... It's ever been the case. I don't know why I assumed you would have done that, but um, oh, I think you, I, if you look, you know how excited I was about it. That yeah. perhaps that that level of like enthusiasm would carry yeah. me through, and it did for a bit, but it didn't. It wasn't able to kind of get through that whole second section. Yeah, that's, at some point you just have to go like, okay, whatever my expectations were for this, it's not that now, and I need to deal with what it is now. This right. is what it is. Do I want to keep reading this? No. <laughs> so I'm gonna donate it. All right. Uh, so did you do any side reading, uh, while you were, uh, had a, an entire month to read? So this no, okay. I did. <laughs> uh, so fun fact to listeners at home, one of, uh, the kind of burgeoning fun little hobbies that 
we're both partaking in as of late is is Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> you know, not to just you know yeah. completely just meld two audiences here of Dungeons and Dragon nerds. We've already talked about video games, and we're on a book podcast, so right. we're just we're very we're very uh, cultured men. But no, most of my downtime uh, in lieu of reading. I've taken that opportunity. I've been reading a lot okay. of D and D resources because yeah. you know I'm our I'm our group's DM. So I've been doing a lot in that in that regard. What about you? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing some side research. So I've been reading this book called uh, "The Life and Death uh, in the Third Reich," which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm almost almost done with that. Uh, but we're fixing to go to Amsterdam. Yeah. And because I'm an idiot, uh, and I don't often connect places with people the way that I should, I didn't realize that the Anne Frank house is in Amsterdam. So uh, I'm this month, uh, probably like this week uh, before we before we uh, get there, I'm gonna read the Diary of Anne Frank. Okay. So that I can like have that in my mind. So that's gonna be my as a little side. refresher. Uh, well, I I've never read it. Really? I, I've ne- yeah. I felt like that was a hundred percent required reading. Never back in the day. Never never was required reading for me. Mm. And so I never never read it. No idea. I know generally like her story. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like yeah, I should read that before I go walk through the house that she lived in exile in in Amsterdam. So yeah, that's that's gonna be my side read for okay. for this this coming month. Interesting. But the main course. The main course. In my theme of things that I'm embarrassed to say I haven't read. Okay. I hadn't looked. I, I think you'd posted this probably I, on I did, but I changed it. I changed oh, okay. It. Well, because I, I didn't. I, like, I, was, I saw that you posted something. I was like, okay, but I don't want to look into it. I'll just wait. Yeah. So you know who John Steinbeck is, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, famous famous Man, books. Grapes of Wrath. East of Eden. Yeah. Those are the, those are the big three. I was going to go with East of Eden. Okay. That would have. I mean, that's the one of those three that I hadn't read. Oh shit! What? Well, I picked Grapes of Wrath because okay. I it's have been, not read Grapes. It's of Wrath. been I literally I read it for school and I remember very little about it. Yeah. So I'm down. Yeah, absolutely. So I was I was going through. I originally picked East of Eden, and then I was I was reading through um, just about Steinbeck, and then I saw that um, that he had won the Pulitzer um, and the Nobel uh, around that time, and uh, Oh, the National Book Award. Um, so I figured with the book winning a National Book Award and a Pulitzer and was cited as the reason that he won the Nobel, that it sort of made Pretty sense good criteria. To, to read that over East of Eden. Okay. Uh, but I have not read anything by Steinbeck. You've read no Steinbeck. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Uh, well, this will be fun. I think you're in for this. Yeah, and so if you're not familiar with uh, with the premise of the book, uh, it's basically about a poor family of tenant farmers from Oklahoma that get forced out of Oklahoma to California during the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I assume that shenanigans ensue, although it's probably serious and not fun. So uh, this, I mean, this has to be the most, this will have to have been the most popular and well-read book that we've had on the podcast yet. I you mean, think so? Because I mean, you had Slaughterhouse-Five. That was, I think yeah. we agreed that was probably the most like well-known. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Grapes of Wrath takes that, takes the cake easily okay. on that. So this'll, this'll be the most like, God, anybody, anybody's probably, you know, read or heard or yeah. seen something with the Grapes of Wrath. It would be very difficult to find. I, f- I feel very so. self-conscious about my like yeah. theme selection because I'm kind of outing my my like ignorance. I've read a ton of shit, but there's some pretty basic things. That there's some. Have, yeah. I mean, there's some specific stuff that you can you can end up skipping over just by the proxy of not outgrowing it, because I don't think Steinbeck is like a is a younger reading. I mean, yeah, it's just that I, I, when I think of Steinbeck, I think of required reading. I think of high school required reading sure, immediately. Sure. Like I don't think of, I don't think of myself in my later years picking up Steinbeck for the first time. So it is, it is odd that you've managed to kind of make it this far without having delved into it. I would, I would love to go back and like find like, I don't know, whatever the syllabus or whatever for yeah. all of my high school English classes. But because you've, 
I'm highly questioning so, what it was. So you've I never read. read any Steinbeck? Nothing. So not even of Mice and Men? No. No, okay, come on. That's I like swear a, to God. I swear that is like a every single high schooler reads of Mice and Men. No. All right, well, we'll start with Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good choice. It's a good choice. So that's going to be our next episode, episode 34. Um, and if you've been living under a rock uh, and or been wondering why we haven't posted episodes for uh, for the last month every every other week. It's because we're on weekly episodes. Weekly? So, uh, sorry, monthly. Let's do it. Wow. Weekly episodes. No, so I, was, I, was, I pulled up pulled up my calendar. You heard so, it here, folks. Yeah, boy, that would be something. Uh, no, so episode 34, uh, Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath will be out on August 5th. That is our, that is our next episode. Uh and then your pick is going to be after that some ambiguous title in in, in September. September. And, I may uh, go. I may go seasonal because I'm not going to get it out because I get September and November. Yeah, man. I'll swap for you. I'll Do you swap wanna, if you want. Here, if you want a seasonal, I want episode. A, I would like to swap my November for December, and then I'll, okay. I'll use my December as a seasonal one. We'll read. We'll read a Christmas Carol again. Fuck you! I'm not every reading year. Christmas Carol we're reading again. a Christmas Carol. Yeah, I'll swap you. You can go October, November, but yeah, okay. September will be fine. I like September. Okay, so. uh, and that one will be out on, on Labor Day weekend. So fantastic! That'll be that'll be good. Kind of just chill Monday read. So. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, not a great book that we picked this time, but hopefully you guys had fun with the episode. Please go read Grapes of Wrath. Don't be me. Don't get into your 30s and, and uh, not have read this book unless Yikes. you're older than me. And then it's okay. You it's a relatively quick us. read, too. Like Steinbeck doesn't write 800 yeah. page, 700 page, you know, <laughs> yeah. monstrosities like this. Huh? Exactly. So August 5th will be that episode. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Better Bookshelf. Uh, maybe I'll post a poll um, sometime this month uh, once we get this episode out to see if anybody else didn't like uh, Section Two. Just just see what see what the Twitter. We should see is. if people liked Section Two. Well, I'll have to phrase it in a way that uh, is is acceptable and not leading. Fair enough. I'm sure we can find a pollster, but I digress. Thanks for listening to this episode. Next episode, August fifth, Steinbeck's. Grapes of Wrath. <laughs>